0: Good morning, North Church. We've been in a series going through the book of Acts, and it's called Scattered. And uh, we've talked about Stephen, uh, that he was the first martyr in the New Testament church. And we looked at Saul just briefly at the last time we were in chapter eight in the book of Acts. And uh, Saul, who later adopted the name Paul, God changed his name, but this was a pretty bad guy. This was a pretty mean guy. Saul was a respected religious leader, but also he had this murderous intent in his heart. I mean, he's kind of like an Osama bin Laden. I mean, he he was this really bad guy trying to be good. He was a keeper of the law. It was all about the law and the rules. And anybody who didn't see God in the way that he saw it, they needed to die or go to prison. And he applauded when Stephen was put to death. And so this is the guy we're going to look at today. And we're going to look at his story of how God intervened in his life and changed him from the inside out. So if you have a Bible, open it with me or uh, open up your, your, uh, your Bible online. Here's the story of Paul or starts with his name was Saul in Acts 9, starting in verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Now, first of all, notice how Jesus takes persecution against his church. He's saying, why are you persecuting me? He doesn't see the church as a building or as an it or just some organization. He identifies with his church and he unites to his church and says, Saul, you are persecuting me. Now, here's what I want you to see, that there is no separation between love for Jesus and commitment to his church. Jesus calls the church, his church, his bride. You can't love Jesus and hate his bride any more than you could tell me, Mike, hey, I love you. I want you to come over for dinner and hang out, but just leave your low-end wife at home. You would offend me if you said that. You see, I say it because people I hear all the time say, I love God, but I hate his church. That just doesn't fly with Jesus. You're called to be a part of this imperfect family called the church, hiding in the shadows, choosing not to ever get involved, just kind of sitting on your armchair, calling in place from the sidelines, criticizing everybody, That just doesn't cut it with God and it will never grow your faith. There's no perfect church. And if there was, the minute you walked in, it would become imperfect. Now watch how Paul, this proud, self-righteous, religious zealot comes to this place of humility. Saul, the mighty, now kneeling before God. Saul, the one who thought he saw so clearly, now being led by his hand because he was blind. Saul, the one who seized others, now seized himself by the Lord Jesus. Verse seven tells us this. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days, he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. Isn't this amazing that some people, they actually need to lose their vision. They need to experience the hardships of this life before they become open to Christ. Some people, and many of us are this way, it takes this low place where our relationships fall apart, where we we experience some unexpected failure or some fear of our future creates this openness to God. C.S. Lewis put it this way. He said, pain insists upon being attended. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks to us in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Saul got knocked off his high horse of pride and self-righteousness, thinking he had it all together. And now he is at this place of humility. Saul, he was a highly educated man. I mean, he, he was trilingual at least, Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. He was a Jew trained in one of the elite schools of his day under the mentorship of Gamaliel. Saul was also a Roman citizen, which was hard to obtain. You had to have government connections and came from a, a family that had good money. Saul was zealous to stamp out Christianity. And he would soon have his name changed to Paul, which means small. Saul was a strong Jewish name, the name of the first mighty king of Israel. Saul the Great became Paul the Small. But there was someone else in this story that we need to pay attention to that God was going to use to complete the conversion of Saul. And this guy is just an ordinary Christian a guy the scripture gives very little information about, except that he was a devout believer. And his name was Ananias, a common Christian name, I mean, a common Jewish name. And God gave Ananias this vision. In verse 10, it says in Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision. Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. What's the mission here at North Church? Saying yes to God. So this guy, Ananias, he is an inspiration to us. Saying yes to God in a difficult, difficult area. Now, saying yes to God isn't just a one-time yes. It's also a life posture. It's the way that our attitude is. It's the, the direction of your feet. It's the inclination of your heart. It's the words of your lips saying Yes to God in everything that he asks you to do. Yes to sharing your faith is what this particular yes was. In verse 11, the Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. Now, I'm sure that Ananias is like, "I, I don't think I heard that correctly. Saul, You're talking about Saul, the most dangerous person in the county? The guy that right now has papers in his hands to go arrest Christians? The guy that put Stephen to death? You want me to go and tell that guy about Jesus and invite him over to my house for s'mores? Okay, sure. Verse 12 says, in a vision. He has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again and he got up and he was baptized. What a powerful story. Now, I want to I look at three things that we can take away from this story. Three things about God that we can apply to our own life. First one is this, God has been pursuing you. God is looking for you, even though you're not looking for him. Or maybe at the time that you found him, you thought, I found God, but God found you. He is the hunter. He is the rescuer. He is the initiator. God wants a relationship with you. And this is amazing to me, that the God of the universe, this holy God, this powerful God, would invite me, invite you, into a relationship with him. Isn't that amazing? I mean, he's looking for you because he loves you, and he calls you into a relationship with him. He's not trying to pay you back. He's trying to bring you back. It's not retribution. It's restoration. Now, God is hunting for us because we're lost. It's the universal human problem. We've all managed to wander away from home. We've all managed to to run from our father and find ourselves lost. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 6 says this, we all... Like sheep have gone astray. Each of us have turned to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. We, like sheep, have all gone astray. Each of us, we've turned to our own ways. Instead of going God's way, we went our way and we've taken wrong turns in this life and we end up lost. But the good news is that God is a pursuing God. God doesn't leave us in that place, but he comes and finds us. Luke chapter 15 is this great chapter in in that gospel that talks about three different things that were lost that the owner searched out and found. There was a lost coin, a lost sheep, and a lost son. Read it. And what you find is that to the owner, what was lost was valuable, was important, was worth searching for. And you are worth searching for to God. God is pursuing you today. Second thing we can see from this story is that you've been blind. Paul's blindness is given as a picture of people separated from Christ. And there are two different forms of blindness. There's a, an irreligious blindness and I'm pretty familiar with that one. You know, that's the one where you, you think to yourself, I don't need God. You know, I'm the master of my own destiny. Weak people need God. And so you pursue what the Bible calls sin. And sin, the middle letter of sin is I. You know, it's about me. I'd rather be in charge. I know better than God. But then at some point, we begin to wake up to the fact that we have these relationships that are broken around us. And the very thing that we hate doing, we keep doing, because it's the only thing we can do in order to make ourselves happy. And you go through this cycle, the cyclical pattern, where you get in pain and then you have to find pleasure in order to make the pain go away. And then that very thing that you do, you hate, and then you do it again in order to make the pain go away. It's irreligious blindness. The second kind of blindness is religious blindness. You think you can be good enough to earn God's approval. That if you just try hard enough, keep enough of the rules, do the right thing, that God will eventually accept you. If you try to change your heart through being a good person, you become like Saul, self-righteous. And it doesn't work. Good works that are done from a spiritually dead heart, it leads to a place of dryness, of weariness and constant comparison always wondering, have I done enough? Is enough stacked up? Am I better than the person to my right or to my left? Comparison leads to utter exhaustion. In contrast to this is the gospel, a gift of grace. Jesus Christ dying in your place, paying the penalty for your sin, for my sin, clothing us in his righteousness, giving us his resurrection power of new life, for a new heart. When Paul experienced that, his life changed. He changed from the inside out. He changed so radically, it took people, some people years to actually believe it because they were so afraid of him. Instead of a sense of entitlement and pride, that thing that says, well, of course God accepts me because I'm better than other people. Paul is filled with this wonder saying, I can't believe that God would save someone like me. You see, the ultimate test of our spirituality is our amazement at the grace of God. Paul, from this point forward, would be filled with this wonder, with this amazement of God's grace. Are you still filled with amazement that God saved you? That he loved you? that he found you, that he pursued you, that he forgave you, that he died on the cross for you. It's not about trying, it's about trusting. It's not about your success in doing, but your faith in what has already been done. The gospel did what religion can never do. It changed Paul's heart. Religion makes you conform, but the gospel helps you transform. All right, here's the last thing. The last thing is this, that we can get from this story, is that your past does not disqualify you from God's future. See, Paul was a murderer. His conversion was so hard to believe that it was even real, because real grace is scandalous. Grace makes no sense, it feels unfair. Like, why that guy? He's the last guy that should get grace. Exactly. John Newton, a slave ship trader, said he looked upon those slave ships with horror. He said, that was me. I did it freely. He said, there is no commerce so iniquitous, so cruel, so oppressive as the African slave trade of which I was involved. He never got over the scandal of grace that was extended towards him. And so he wrote, that famous song, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. In some hymnals, people wanted to change the words and some hymnals actually got changed and they wanted the word wretched, wretch, changed to saved and strengthened me. God's grace strengthened me or saved me, set me free. If you do a little research, what you find out is that some churches changed the wording because they didn't like the concept of being wretches that need to be saved. Too humiliating. But the Bible teaches that you and I are a wretch, that we are spiritually dead and naked. You don't need to be strengthened or improved. You need God's unmerited favor called grace, religious or irreligious. All of us stand in equal need of grace, amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Jesus saved Saul, the murderer. He saved John Newton, the slave trader. He can save a wretch like you or like me. And God took Saul. He took this guy with this checkered past with this evil past who was an enemy of the church, who had the blood of the saints on his hands, and he changed his name to Paul, and he put him before kings with the salvation of the world on his lips. Never forget, God's grace has the power to redeem and transform and bring you into a future you could never have made for yourself. You don't grow as a Christian by moving on from the gospel but by constantly growing deeper into the gospel. Do you see how God has been pursuing you? How you were blind, how you were wretched in your sin, and it's grace that has saved you. It's scandalous, it's amazing. And whether you come from an irreligious background or whether you come from a very religious background, all of us, stand in equal need of God's grace. And it's the wonder of that grace that saves us. Ephesians two, verse eight says, "'For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God's. It's the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast.'" It's as we embrace that truth. It's not in my goodness. It's not in me trying to be righteous. It's not in me doing all the right things to try and please God or be acceptable. It's about receiving forgiveness for my sin, accepting how I come to God. I offer nothing. God gives me everything. He's the pursuer and it's his grace that sets us free. How's your wonder of God's grace in your life today? God's pursuing you. And all we, all we can do is just say yes to that pursuit. Yes to God. Yes to the next thing that he wants us to do. What's that next thing for you? The next thing that God is speaking to you because he's always speaking, he's always growing us and he, he, he's saying something. Are we listening? And then is our response, yes. Will you pray with me? God, we just want to come to you this morning and say again, thank you for grace, that unmerited favor towards us, that we don't deserve it, we can't earn it. But Lord, it is your unconditional love. It is the pursuit of your heart after mine. And today we say yes to you. Today, This morning, if God is speaking to you through this message, if God is knocking on the door of your heart, open it and just say yes to him. Pray with me, would you? Jesus, I'm saying yes to you today. I'm inviting you into my life. I'm asking you to forgive my sin. I acknowledge you as Lord and as savior and all of what you did on the cross as God's son Come into my life and change me from the inside out. Thank you, God. Lord, for each one of us, I pray that you'll just restore that wonder. Lord, would you restore in me today the wonder of your grace that keeps me growing, keeps me changing, and it keeps me on my knees to just in humble gratitude, thanking you and asking you, God, make yourself real to me today. Help me keep saying yes to you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. I took a breath, you breathed your life in me. You have been so, so kind. after me There's no volume God, we are so thankful that you have gone to such great lengths to chase us down to pursue us even when our hearts are turned far from you Lord you are so good we thank you so much for your word we thank you for today bless us and bring us back here again soon in Jesus name we ask